for Tomorrow Football for the next hour. I'm your host, Will Bazer, and I'm joined alongside by Johnny Brashear and Tim Preston, as always. And we're being brought in by the Budos Band. This show, we're going to do a little bit different. We're going to start off with a hot take. Is the Big 12 kind of sneaky bad this year? Or maybe overrated? And then we'll get into the Texas Tech game, as Texas Tech came to Austin and got some catharsis. And then ask, if you're Chris Beard, what lessons do you take away from that game and apply forward going into the Baylor and Kansas games as well as the tournament? Y'all, we, we're coming up on a big week. Not not basketball. Johnny is getting married. So congrats to Johnny. Let's and then, not count our chickens. And then two weeks. Okay. Two weeks I'm getting married. So, Again, let's not count our chickens. You, you know, you're right. You're right. This is This is all a little early. We only got deposits down. Things aren't paid in full. Yeah. Even yeah. when we're there, it's sort of like tenuous at best. Yeah. yeah. And you can back out at any point in time. Tim Tim knows best. Right, Tim? Well, I will be celebrating my 19th wedding anniversary in August. So I guess it's, uh, I guess I'm the old elder statesman here. Even though Johnny is quite a bit older than I am by quite a bit. So, But younger at heart. No, nope. No, that's true. Not even. Not even a little. Even. That's true. I, I've been I've been 45 since I was 25, so that that probably yeah that tracks. All right, so that that hot take is mine, dear listeners, just so that you know to avoid any fire towards Johnny, yeah, to to avoid any fire towards Johnny here that people are gonna throw his way for being a the Shaka apologist beard hater. Uh, so I, you know, I just it's one of those it's one of those things this year where. I don't want to say that the Big 12 is sort of like living off of its reputation because I don't suppose that it is. But coming into the season, I think that the, there were some things that were sort of expected that haven't really happened. You know, Porter Mosier came from uh, Loyola Chicago and and brought a lot of hype with that and like had so much success with them um, that I think people were pretty were pretty high on Oklahoma. West Virginia, you know, had, had lost some guys but still seemed like a team that could probably, you know, be right in the hunt for the middle of the pack again because of, you know, what Bob Huggins brings. Um, Oklahoma State lost Cade Cunningham, which is obviously a significant, you know, huge, huge loss, but still was very athletic and and, and long and talented and was bringing back a lot of their guys, you know. Um, and I just think that there were there were some expectations for the conference that, that sort of set up like, oh, things were good. And even like there was actually some stuff that happened in the beginning of the of the season that even sort of inflated the conference. So like Iowa State had a, you know, like an unquestionably incredible non-conference season. I think there was something like they were tied at one point for the most uh, for the most Q1 wins in the country, uh, even though I think they've won like four or five games in the conferences all right now. And it's just it just feels like then we ran up against the SEC in the, you know, in the middle parts of January and the SEC kind of let us have it a little bit. Uh, I, I know the SEC won that, but uh, regardless, it felt like, you know, it still felt like, okay, that happens sometimes. It could just be a one-off. But as Johnny was talking about last week, Texas is is 8-6, and six, which is obviously, you know, a very respectable record. But we're going to be, like, it would take kind of a miracle for us to not finish in fourth, which obviously, you know, like getting up to third place would, would require probably winning out or at least coming real darn close to winning out. Um, but, like, <laughs> finishing lower than fourth would maybe require losing out <laughs> or or something real close to that. It just feels like 
I, I'm not sure that that a ten and eight finish, which is what we, which is what we will probably have, or at least you know maybe we could get to eleven and eleven and seven, or possibly nine and nine. But I'm not sure a ten and eight finish as number four with a bullet in the conference is suggestive of of a really really strong conference. Um, and I do think that there's a little bit of there's been quite a bit of narrative around both the league and about how Texas has done, saying like, oh well, hey, we're right there, and and look at all the you know, look at all the benefit of the doubt that we should get because of that. I just, I'm not sure it's there, guys. I'm not, I don't know that I would watch how the Big 12 has played basketball this season and say like, yep, this is just a bunch of juggernauts beating up on each other. It almost kind of looks like, uh, perhaps uh, there was some inflation in what uh, the conference was looking at beforehand here. So it, it feels a little bit like the SEC where you have the two or three juggernauts at the very top. One, Football, you mean, yes? Yeah, football. One kind of medium to upper team, and then the rest of like medium lower teams. So I, I agree with what you're saying. When you're looking at who's behind Texas, it's Kansas State, Oklahoma State, and TCU. Nothing that jumps off the paper there. The team that I've been most impressed with from that group is actually Kansas State. Like I think if they get it together, <laughs> you know, they they actually probably are my are the team that I would if I you know gun to my head if they all played each other in like some kind of like three-team playoff or whatever that's the team I would root for or not root for but but probably single out but yeah I mean that but that's Kansas State like they're not they're not particularly good yeah I mean of those three teams who has the best out-of-conference schedule and is it that impressive I mean I guess the way I would look at it is that Kansas is doing basically what we expected of them. They're they're probably going to win the conference. I think as of the last projection I saw, they've got like an eighty percent probability to w- of winning the conference, and only four percent of not finishing in the top two. Um, Baylor is uh, sort of I, I, I as much as I hate to give any program that uh, employs Scott Drew any sort of caveat. Uh, I feel like it's less that they have underperformed than that they've been over-injured this year. Correction to my previous tweet regarding the terrorist group ISIL. You do not, in fact, under any circumstances, have to have to hand it to them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Not, not going yeah, not, not gonna, not gonna to hand it to them. Just, just saying. Um, yeah, and then, you know, Tech is... I, I feel like they're the clear favorite to finish second in the conference, which is an overperformance. Um uh, from from what a lot of people expected, like I thought they might challenge for third or something, but I I, I had a hard time seeing them passing Baylor in the preseason. Um, so you know those three teams are all probable top three seeds in in uh, March Madness. Texas is going to be fourth in the conference, and they're going to be like what is maybe I'll say a six, give or take, depending on how these last handful of games go, six or seven, something like that. Maybe they move up into a five, or maybe they drop to an eight if things go really poorly. Um, so that's that's a pretty big gap between the top three and the fourth place team, and then behind them you have basically four teams that are all bubble teams or would be bubble teams if they were eligible. Like Oklahoma state is effectively an ineligible bubble team right now. Um, and so that's, you know, you got a couple other teams falling behind them that are, um, that, that are probably NIT bound. Like I kind of think Oklahoma's, uh, unless they pull off some sort of massive upset in the last few games, they're probably headed to the NIT and 
West Virginia is just trying to finish at or above 500 so they can make the NIT. But um, yeah, I, I think it's, I, I don't know that I would say the Big 12 is sneaky bad. I would say that it is uh, less of a juggernaut than maybe we think. Um, I still think it's pretty clearly the best conference in, in, the, in the country this year. Um, but it's, yeah, there are a lot of teams with with significant flaws that can be exploited and could very easily derail uh, any any title hopes they have. I guess the the quick caveat that I would put in there too is that I, maybe Kansas can be a team that can win it all down down the line. I don't think Tech shoots well enough or is going to be in position to win shootouts in. Uh, in something like the tournament, um, that kind of setting. I mean, they put up 51 on Baylor in the second half, so they can do it. Yeah, but at home, man. No, I know. <laughs> I, I yeah, it's. Yeah, yeah it, I mean, I think you're. I think you're right that I, there are three teams in the Big 12 that I could see making a Final Four run, but none of them I'm super confident about saying they will. Right? Like, it's not like you look at Gonzaga and say, yeah, no, they should be in the final four. Like that doesn't, doesn't feel like it's a, it's a, it's a particularly egregious claim to make with, with confidence. Whereas with Kansas, their, their defense is, is problematic and, and causes them problems. And, you know, when Agbaji isn't going, uh, then they have, they tend, they can struggle sometimes. Uh, Baylor is got injuries all over everywhere. And if Cryer's not a hundred percent or a Kinjo gets re-injured, then, you know, they could get bounced early and tech had plays good enough defense that it'll keep them in every game the rest of the way. But yeah, they, they don't shoot well from three. So if they get down, they're going to have to figure out a way to, you know, they're going to have to sort of engineer a way to, to, to come back. And, you know, um, there are teams that can shoot, uh, better than tech can defend. Like there's a couple of them out there. So I could absolutely see them not making it outside of that. There's, there's nobody in this conference I feel confident of saying, yeah, they're capable of an elite eight. Like for Texas to make it past the first weekend, or I should say past the Sweet 16, it's probably going to take some upsets in their bracket and them not facing a two seed or not facing a one seed, that sort of thing. Because I, I just, you know, I don't, I don't think they're there. Like, um, I, I when we when we were talking about this earlier, and I, I kind of wanted to talk about the how Texas lines up in in the conference and 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 in the big in March Madness, you know, Tim is right that they are pretty much on rails to finish in fourth place. Like right now, it, they have an eighty percent probability of, of finishing in fourth place. So it ta- it's going to take a lot of things outside of their control happening for them to either move up or move down, um, and you know the. the that means that they're probably going to play Kansas State or TCU in their first game. And, you know, ironically, if they beef this game against TCU, that gives them a better chance at facing them in the Big 12 tournament, which I kind of feel like they'd rather do than face Kansas State. Um, but as far as, um, you know, I've been trying to find a way to quantify where, like how like how to put Texas in its proper place because just saying they're this fringe top 25 team and maybe a six or seven seed is is one thing but the the better way I think to put it is if you take quad one wins or quad one record and you change and you split it in q1a and q1b which the 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 tournament selection committee does as a way to kind of deal with the fine differences between some teams up the top. Um, Texas Q1B record currently is three and one. 
which is good. That's teams that are uh, at home that are 20 and below and, and road teams that are 38 and below, give or take, uh, in Q1. Q1A, they're 2 and 5. And that's the Kansas win and the Tennessee win and then five losses. And I think that's a good way of looking at them is they're not, they're not in that Q1A group. And that Q1A group is where the, the one through four seeds tend to show up. Yeah, would you say they're a high floor, low ceiling kind of team, Johnny? <laughs> I would say that it's this season to me feels like it's on rails. I feel like outside of some significant changes or uh, significant new wrinkles, I, the the rest of the season feels extremely predictable to me. I feel like this team is in athleticism, uh, athleticism away from reaching that. I feel like if you look at Texas Tech and what they have. That is what Texas could be with some more athleticism on this roster. If you had a guy like Bryson Williams who could have gone to Texas instead went to Tech, that would have upped your athletic athletic ceiling rather than having a guy like Christian Bishop. So if you have something like that or you get a Kinjo instead of Carr or something along those lines, that ups your athletic ceiling and thus, the ceiling of this team. You're, I think you're right. This team is very good when it comes to the fundamentals and when it comes to basketball IQ. But the one thing we, they... We know can dunk, but good <laughs> fundamentals. They're more fun to watch. But the one thing that they do have in, in spades is that, right, fundamentals and, and IQ, but it can't. they can't break past a certain point because of the athleticism. They can just... They can YMCA ball all day long, but until they can dunk the ball uh, with a guard, then it's going to be rough sledding when you're going up against teams like Texas Tech and Kansas and Baylor. And, and thus, you've kind of set your this the ceiling up uh, that's it's not you're not going to be able to break through. And so, what you're saying is, yeah, when they play a team like Oklahoma. Like, you know, maybe a 13 seed that beats a four seed or something along those lines. That's how they're going to be able to get past a team is when they, yeah, they're, they match up athletically, but have better fundamentals. They have better IQ. They know where to do. They're better coached, but you can't beat a team that has your matches you on that. And is athletically gifted. If they have a, a one seed that loses in their bracket, then the world is their oyster. Uh, but <laughs> outside of that, uh, I, I feel like, yeah, it's, it's, I, I just, yeah, it's going to be difficult. I mean, but barring, you know, or, you know, depending on whatever the actual bracket matchups are, this could change, but it's, I just don't see them beating a, a top three seed and probably a top four seed in the tournament. Yeah, no, and that's, that's completely fair to say, uh, just because of what we've seen so far, right? If you're, not to be a downer, not to be a you know uh, a pessimist as we usually are on the show. It's just, hey, you know, this is the team we have. They are extremely good in these certain situations, but if you throw them into this situation, which is what you see a lot of the times in the tournament, because you're going to play a lot of really good athletic teams, that's going to be trouble for Texas. If they play Virginia, perhaps they have a shot. If they play Arizona, not so much. Well, I actually wouldn't mind seeing them play a team that runs like 
if we can if we can get into a game that goes up and down, I, I don't know. Like that's that's the other part of it too that I think will be fascinating to see. Like the matchup part of this too is is going to be interesting. Like we've seen pretty clearly against Tech and Baylor, um, you know, and for portions of the game against Tennessee, although we pulled that one out, obviously, uh, what what we can look like against a team that wants to play a pretty similar style to us, but also has the athletes to to give us some trouble. Um, I would love to see what happens if we play a team that kind of gets up. What what happens if we can play a game in the seventies? Like I don't think that that's impossible for us to win if we if we play well. Because the you know people can call us pessimists or they, uh, me like people can call me a pessimist all they want. We got the guys to do it. Like Courtney can get hot. Mm-hmm. Andrew can certainly get hot. Jace can get hot. Like I mean, Timmy Andrew can play can incredibly well. Yeah, I'm sorry. Maybe I, didn't, I meant to say him if I didn't. I no, apologize. no worries. He but, just did. Um, he just did get hot. Yeah. <laughs> so it, I think that obviously there's there's a lot of there's a lot of pathways for us to be successful, um, but what what you know the other part of it is like we have six one thousand point scorers on this team, like there have been plenty of years where we've had none, like it's like this is this is a this is a group that you don't get to a thousand points in in high level D one basketball unless you're legitimately good. Right. So like, so it's not just that we're skilled. We are super skilled. <laughs> it's not just that we have, you know, players that are capable of, of executing a game plan. Like we have guys who are really good at that. Um, so when we say like, oh, we're, we're you know, the, the scales are tipped more towards skillfulness than athleticism. Well, that's undoubtedly true. But like that doesn't mean that we're not really, really skillful. There's a reason that we're, in, you know, in the conversation that, that Johnny says that, we, hey, we could even get up to a force. I think in the most recent net rankings, we were 15. Now that's before we still have an opportunity to play against Baylor in Kansas, so we'll see what happens in those games. Because I don't think that the TCU or West Virginia games are gonna are gonna tilt the scales too much in our favor. You know, going up much more than that, like like the Baylor and Kansas games could. But regardless, I mean, we're we're right in there. So I'm not. You know, none of us is saying that this team doesn't have talented guys. They're just talented in some ways that you know don't necessarily give us the best chance to be successful at the very tippy top level, which is fine. Like this has been a good year. Like it's kind of unquestionably been a good year. Um, it's just not probably going to be a year where we say, Hey, you know, if, if, if Texas has, if we want to be a sec, you know, a late second and, and maybe even a third weekend program, which I'm sure beard wants to be, uh, this is not the group that's going to get it done, which is fine. Like, you know, whatever he put it together in like a couple months, whatever. Um, but it is what it is. Curran Roach is a guy that kind of comes to mind when it comes to like skill versus athleticism. Where yeah, he's he's the other he's, he's the, the exact opposite, opposite like, right? Everybody right. was like, he can't, you know, he can't shoot, but like, boy, the hell, he can jump out of a out of a gym. We kind of got the opposite. Well, and I I like I like the guys that we've got. That's we just we just don't have any variety. You know, we just don't. We it would be nice to have. It seems silly to say, but it it would appear that Beard's biggest recruiting loss this year was not getting Jericho and Matt to come back, which I don't blame either of those guys for not coming back. I mean, they were obviously Shaka or Shaka smart guys, and and that was it, it, they were ready to move on. And I I can imagine that the sting of losing in that first round was enough to be like, you know, fuck this, let's go get some money and and make it work. But like that's that's the kind of thing that we're missing. If you add a dynamic whatever big man or point guard or both to this team as you said last time will like yeah every team in the country needs that but if we can add that we're fine we just we just you know we're missing kind of the more diverse skill set or at the very least the guys that we have that maybe provide that diverse skill set aren't either ready to for bigger minutes or aren't getting the opportunity to have bigger minutes or maybe some combination of both imagine so. every missed christian bishop lob 
going to Jericho Sims instead. That's like two more wins, right? We're on a two-game streak with no dunks. Like <laughs> I, we have had zero dunks in the last two games. Imagine saying that at any point during Shaka's tenure. I'm oh, sure, like, there's yeah. no way that's no, happening. There's no how, way. How there's many no fast way. break points does Texas have this year? Uh, how many against, that aren't Andrew Jones? Against, yeah. That's the real okay. question. How many <laughs> so. against in conference? In conference, how many fast break points does Texas have? Like twelve. I, I mean, I'm sure they have more than that just because they, they generate enough turnovers against some teams that they get out in transition and those could be considered fast break points. Like, if you want to define it that way, then they probably have a significant amount. Um, but, yeah, there, there's not a lot of get out and run with this team. Uh, not, not that we've mentioned this on the podcast before. No, they, I mean, they can't. But, yeah, we, we've, that we have now going to, okay, we get it, guys. We get it. We get it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's go ahead and take a look directly at the Texas Tech game, which is kind of a what we've been talking about here. And you know what we've we've seen it. We don't need to really get into it. Like Marcus Carr had a bad game. They they just had a bad game. So we're gonna go ahead and take a look at what lessons, if you were Chris Beard, do you take away from that game and apply to Baylor, Kansas, and the tournaments coming up. So I think the mark of any good podcaster is understanding when their audience is ready to move on. Um, with that in mind, how about 10 more minutes about athleticism? Yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> what do you, what do I, you yeah, say, guys? Let's, let's talk more. I think we've – how many hours do you think we've had on that subject? Anyways. Was, was that the sum total of your contribution, Tim? You just – Hey, you this you do this shit to me almost every single podcast. Where all of a sudden, like, you come up with a, some quippy comment – and then people laugh, and then I look like the asshole, and then I'm left to like pick up the pieces of your lack of of actual game critique. I, I don't I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure you don't. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's I mean you know yeah, Carr had his worst game since he's been in Texas. Timmy Allen was a non-factor for 35 minutes basically. Uh, Christian Bishop. Uh, it still has the same number of points after the game as he did during, I think, um, you know, it, well, no, that's not true. He did, he did hit some free throws. So congratulations yeah, he, 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 to, to Christian Bishop on those three <laughs> free throws. Good job, buddy. Um, yeah, it, you know, tech and Texas know each other extremely well, not just in this season, but both of these coaches know each other and their tendencies extremely well. Like this is another one of those games where both sides have each other scattered out extremely well. Uh, the difference is that tech, uh, had better players who played better. Um, you know, and it's, it's frustrating because you see something like, uh, Andrew Jones starting to get loose, uh, at, at one point in the game where he, he starts hitting a couple shots and, you know, Courtney Ramey is driving some and, and trying to get in the lane some and Jace, manages to hit a couple threes and you're like okay well maybe maybe there's something and, and then they slow back down again and it's just it's back into the half court where tech is going to throttle you they're just they just are like it you need to put tech in uncomfortable situations and they are exceedingly good at not letting you do that when they're on defense um and it's you know the uh the mark adams said after the game that their goal was to keep marcus Carr out of the paint they said, basically, we're not going to let him get downhill. Um, and they were willing to s- potentially sacrifice some some open looks on the, on the corners and that sort of thing uh, if if it meant keeping Carr out of the paint. And they did. 
I, I don't know how many times Marcus Carr touched the paint, but it was very, very few, um, if any. And so, you know, congrats to them. And that's, that is a schematic thing. That is, that is uh, now something that every opponent knows can happen because Marcus Carr, in, in this offense, Marcus Carr is not quick enough to get around his man. He's not, uh, he does not beat his man one-on-one against the better teams. Um, and it's it's frustrating because they're not really handing the ball to anybody else to initiate the offense for the most part. Here and there, you'll see Timmy Allen do you know get it get it to initiate it. That sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. I know Tim's not a particular fan of Timmy Allen uh, uh, initiating offense, and I tend to agree. Um, it just seems like this offense, as currently constituted, has about three ideas and Tech can take away at least two of them at any given point in time. So it's going to be tough to score against those those kind of teams. Um, and, you know, to be fair to Texas, it's tough for most teams to score on Tech. So um, the game was sort of entertaining mainly because of the sheer number of Red Raiders fans that were there. Uh, that was a lot of red in the stands. Uh, it seems like most people I've, I've talked to estimated it was around – 45% of the crowd or so was, was, was tech fans. I say more 40, um, but yeah, like, yeah, it somewhere was a in good, that. Well, maybe even 35. It was a good chunk of them, but the majority was still definitely Texas fans, but they yeah, definitely it, got some very, very loud defense chants going on. Well, we were on offense. Yeah. And I, that might be the loudest anyone has ever chanted "airball" at a Texas player in Austin. Like that was, I, I forget who it was. I think it was Carr maybe that, that, threw it up and just um yeah they started chanting airball at him and i was <laughs> i heard i could hear it through the tv and i was like wow that is that is a lot of tech fans mm-hmm. by the way i do want to they give marcus angry. Carr. I, I want to give marcus Carr some props uh one he got trapped in the corner and managed to hit like i don't know if that was a pass or a shot but he managed to hit a part of the the stanchion on uh on the basket i have never seen another basketball player hit before that was it wasn't i mean it was like three feet behind the backboard and it and low and i just i was like i i was amazed by that i think i've seen brock cunningham do that at least once but i'm with you and i'm (laughs) right (laughs) and it was probably but i mean I, i think we get it like it was a bad game let's let's not hang on that i want to know what are the takeaways from that game Yes, the offense was shitty. If you're Chris Beard, what do you do? What do you do after looking at that game going forward? You have Baylor on the schedule. You have Kansas. You have the tournament. What do you do? Well, first off, if I'm Chris Beard, I subscribe to my Substack because clearly that is full of gems that he has not thought of. Um, that's that's the first thing I do. Also, maybe uh, maybe maybe you know cut down the carbs a little bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> The next thing I do is uh, I I start handing the ball to Devin Askew. That's my proposition, and I, I put this in the Substack. And, and it's gamble. It is admittedly a, an absolute gamble. Is this team is not going to be the the best of what it can be if Marcus Carr cannot get going downhill. And so uh, I think it is incumbent upon the staff to find ways to get him going downhill. I mean, it's sort of you know I I, I it reminds me of the 
talking point about some running backs back in the day, they was like, okay, you put them in I formation because you want them to get up ahead of steam before they actually get the ball. Um, I kind of feel like that's how Marcus Carr is. I, you need him north-south as much as possible. Um, and he's not able to do it against high-level defenses. Um, and we saw that over and over against Tech. So I say uh, the next two games, given that they are games that Texas should be favored in, uh, and Texas is the better team, should they, they should be able to have... I mean, this is frankly their last chance to do any real experimentation because after that you've got... Baylor and Kansas and the Big 12 tournament and March Madness. So like this is your last chance to try anything different and interesting. Um, and so I say take six or eight minutes out of each game, play Devin Askew as the point, have Marcus Carr off the ball, and get him cutting to the basket, get Devin Askew penetrating into the paint because he can do it better than Marcus Carr in my eyes, um, and, and just try and get Carr open so that he can be the guy, that the best version of himself. Because he's, you know, he's really good at hitting these weird suboptimal shots or shots that are suboptimal for everyone else. Um, And he can hit off-schedule shots that other people should not try to do. Uh, But he has to get some momentum going so he can get into whatever he's doing. So that's that. That is my you know big fancy idea: is give Devin Askew the ball and uh, let him let him initiate. Yeah, I think what you're saying is use him as the distributor. And I would agree with that in the terms of like, hey, we want the ball out of Timmy Allen's hands. We want the ball out of Jace Fabris's hands. We even want the ball out of Courtney Ramey and Marcus Carr's hands so that they can do use off-ball movement to get themselves open. You use Devin Askew, who has been very good at actually driving and getting to the paint to then get to the paint and then distribute out. My one, my one caveat to that would be, yes, I agree with it. But Devin asks you, if you have an open shot, take the fucking shot. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it, it works. It, 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 it works as an experiment on a couple of different levels. One is that I think it, it, it helps get Marcus Carr going because uh, he, he's having trouble. And two, if this works, you got an idea for next year with Devin Askew where, um, you know, if say for example, uh, Morris doesn't make it to campus because the G league goes and gets him just as an example. Um, then you've got you've got an idea of a guy who can do something, and you actually spent some of your last season building that guy up uh, and giving him some confidence that he can do what he or he knows he can do this stuff. So, I mean, if it doesn't work, then you know you got to go in the transfer portal and start looking for people or recruiting somebody for the next class that uh, that'll take over. But I, you know, I think Askew's better at getting in the paint. I also think he can be a better finisher at the rim than he has been if he goes and hunts for his shot, you know, at a, at a quote unquote appropriate level. But yeah, I think, you know, getting, uh, you get other guys open by getting paint touches and, and by penetrating and ask you does that better than Carr at least to date this year. And so, uh, give him the ball and let him, you know, get to the paint, kick out or hit cutters or whatever. Right. Like I, I think that's, that's the way to go. I love the idea. I don't think beer is going to do anything. As far as like what lesson to learn, I just well, I, don't, yeah. I don't care what you think Beard's going to do <laughs> at this point. We know what Beard's going to do. What would you do if you were Chris Beard? What would I? I mean, I would start DeSue. I would start Cunningham. I would start Febris. I would I would give more minutes to ask you. Um, you know, I would I would try to play faster because I mean, could the the thing with this team that it was that I think is 
so Marcus Carr comes out of the game or comes after the game, like comes out and talks to the to the media um, and says that he comes like, hey, I apologize to my teammates. I apologize to my coaches. I played a terrible game. Right. He comes out and says that publicly. Um, and when I hey, stand up thing to do. Bless his heart. That's awesome. Like he's a grown man that that, you know, stand up shit, my guy. Uh, he was not put in a success into a situation into a situation to succeed. Like he just wasn't. Like that's what he struggled with against Tech is this stuff that he can't do. Like there's there's very few teams, period, that can defend like Tech that can't force him into a tough situation. Now, could he hit more than a zero out of seven shots or zero out of six shots or whatever? Yeah, I'm sure he could. But like what Tech was doing to stop him was not something that you would say, Oh my goodness, he should have done so much better, or like I can't believe he played such a bad game. Like, no, that's just, that was just kind of what it was. So I I think that we we are aware with this group. I think we are aware with this group of what the ceiling is. And as Johnny said, it's pro it's probably honestly the round of 32. It could be the round of 16, but it's probably the round of 32 unless they get a really bad matchup in the first round. Fine. <laughs> as, as someone that has, has was in the building for the last time Texas won a game in the first round, I would welcome them winning another game in the Texas or in the, in the first round. Um, but like, with this crew, at some point, you have to decide what's more important. Is winning their, your first round game more important? Or is putting a squad on the floor that could have a lower floor but a higher ceiling more important? I mean, I, I don't I don't look at Christian Bishop and say, hey, man, if he gets things right, he could be, you know, he could be an all-conference kind of player. He couldn't. That's just, he's not at that level. I don't think he can do that. I, don't, I think you'd probably say the same thing for a guy like, even Trey Mitchell in this offense, although I don't, or in this in this program, although I'm not sure that we're going to see him back at all this um, this season. Um, you know, Marcus Carr looks like he doesn't really have that as far as the role he's being asked to play. So why not try it? Now, could that mean that we would lose the first round game instead of winning it? It could, but do I think a team that like focuses more on Askew and Febris and 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 Desue could give us a better shot? Yeah, I think so. I'm a, I'm in favor of trying anybody that could give us more athleticism, put some more speed on the court. So I, I would love to see it. I'd love to see us utilize our athletes more. I'd love to see us kind of get, get up and down a little bit more. Uh, you know, back to my initial point, why won't Beard do it? Because he can't control that. <laughs> that's, that's not something he can control because I think like the, you know, the variance that you're going to get with a guy like Askew or that you're going to get with a guy like Febris, you're going to get with a guy like Desu at this point is just very different than what you're going to get from Bishop. Bishop's going to give you great energy. He's going to give you a lot of like strength and toughness on the interior. He's going to give you a lot of below the rim play. He's going to try to get to the foul line and okay. Right. And that's just sort of what it's going to be. And fine, fine. Um, but I just I I don't short of short of changing up the personnel drastically, I don't look at our struggles against the best teams and say, oh, the problem is scheme or oh, the problem is if only we, you know, if only we would do this with these guys on the floor. They're not capable, man. They're just not they don't have the skill set to do it. They have they have some tremendous skill sets, but not to do the things that they're struggling with. They don't have that athleticism. They don't have that burst. They don't have that explosive ability. They don't have that you know, that step back ability to say like, hey, we've got length to kind of, you know, overcome really great defense. No, At really great defense level. is going to shut us down. Yeah, they're going to, sh- it's going to shut us down. <laughs> right. And that's, that's fine. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. They're, they're tremendous players, but 
I don't look at it and say, oh, wow, if, if they could change this aspect of what these guys are doing. No. And in some respects, I guess you can maybe even say Beard should be applauded for kind of like maximizing these guys. Because I do think we've done pretty well to say like you know, we're getting about the most out of some of these guys. Like Bishop has been better than I thought he would be. In some respects, I feel like, you know, he's, you know, Andrew, Andrew Jones has been a little bit better than I even thought maybe he would be given how slow we play. Um but that doesn't change the fact that, like, if he if he wants to, like, if we want to try to actually, like, maximize who this team could be, it probably means playing drastically different guys, kind of drastically different minutes, which there is no way he's going to do with four games left. <laughs> it's not going to change that kind of stuff with, with at this point in the season. Because right now, what you, I mean, what you change, you don't change anything about you. What you hope changes is something about the teams you're going to play, right? That you get a fortuitous injury for somebody else, or you get like a, a bad bounce for another team in the tournament, or you get like some kind of thing where like the draw is perfect and you play a team that has an injury at the wrong time or or whatever, like, right? Or like you, you play a team that goes on a run and, and beats, you know, wins the ACC tournament, although they probably should have been like a six seed and you play an inflated team like that or something like that. Like a Syracuse when they won the Big East all those years ago, like when they weren't very good. Like that's that's probably what we want to change is is what, what some other team is going to do. Not not probably so much what we are going to do. Yeah, I think with Beard, the, the guiding principle of, of Beard is he wants to squash variants. That's, he is, he is going to, that's sort of that's what his defense is about. It's about squashing the variance and outcomes. It's about forcing them to one side of the floor. It's about forcing them into you know these specific spots on the floor. Uh, the offense is about shooting from these particular spots on the floor and about uh, the tempo. The tempo yeah. is so that he can call out individual plays. Um, it is you know that. Everything about Beard is squashing variants because he doesn't want the the floor to fall out, and he's willing to sacrifice uh, the ceiling. Yeah, he's gonna if it means limiting the ceiling, he is willing. He's willing to limit the floor as well. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's what that's who he is, and that's who he's been pretty much this entire time. And when he gets, you know, gets things going in the exact right way, like we talked about with the with the title game year. Um, that variance works in his favor. It's sort of like he had Vegas house odds going with, with that defense. Um, but yeah, he's, you know, I, we can suggest the things we want to see, but he, I sincerely doubt he's going to do any, any such thing. I think what we're seeing now, we're going to see for six or so more games the rest of the year. And then at some point, uh, Texas is going to lose because this is exactly how we play. No, I, I understand that. The reason I'm saying how would you do it is because we know how he's going to do it. So reiterating how he's going to do it, it's going to make for bad I mean, radio. I, get, I, I <laughs> right. gave you an option but, of what I would do, and then I'm just going to squash everyone's hope and remind them of what he will do because that's and the, and the that's key, what we do here key, is we we the give the them a little been, bit of hope. Shut up, Tim. We're going to give them a little <laughs> bit of hope and then squash it. The key would have been doing this when we were so this may or may not like lead us into the next segment, Will. But it was obvious that Marcus Carr couldn't do the things we needed him to do against our non conference schedule. Like the point guard things in this kind of tempo in in a system where we're gonna rely on him to beat people one on one off the bounce, he couldn't do that against the weakest non conference schedule in the country. If he couldn't do that then, and Beard didn't change it then, 
the opera, you know, like the thought process that he's going to change it now against these teams, you know, it would be would be indicative of people just not paying attention to who Chris Beard is, right? And like, say, like you you want to know that the, the dichotomy between him and Shaka? This is it, right? I think Shaka kind of was willing to shoot his foot <laughs> or cut off his nose in spite of his face, right? Because like, hey, we're not going to win the championship unless we have these guys playing at a level. Like if Kerwin Roach and Matt Coleman play really really well. We could be awesome, but they've like as as Johnny said, the variance is just you know kind of pretty damn high with how good or bad Kerwin could be. But you just you roll the dice and hope that you get that best, and it just never came right unless you call an NIT championship, like turning good hey, on that. We were invited to a tournament and we won it. We <laughs> yeah, are champions. It. I don't care what you say. <laughs> so so I you know, but I do think when we think about when we think about what guys can and can't do, it does, it does beg the question of like, okay, the stuff that we're seeing them not do now is stuff that we've seen them not do pretty much the entire season. So why the no? So maybe a better question for, for that, or maybe, maybe what we can answer more accurately will is why didn't he change it 20 games ago? Why, why are we talking about changing stuff now? When, you know, theoretically, the reason to play a non-conference schedule like we played is because you have a lot of options. Like, you can give Devin Askew a shit ton of minutes against the teams that we played, and you're probably going to be fine. So why didn't we? You know, or once it be- at least once it became clear that Marcus Carr probably wasn't going to be able to do that, why did, you know, why did we wait so long and just like, hey, we're going to roll with this when there was potentially a better, you know, some type of better option or at least different option that we could have like teased out a little bit. Why, why not give that a shot? So, I mean, tougher to answer because, but, but certainly more, more likely to have an outcome that we could think about kind of within reason of what beard could or couldn't do or would or wouldn't do. So give me the answer. What could he have done? No. Why, why didn't it happen 20 games ago? Chris, Chris beards an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. I, cool. Like, All right. <laughs> Great conversation. No, I, no I, I, it, it's, it's, this is, I've coached for a long time and, and all of us have been athletes for a long time. We've all mm. had Chris Beard as a coach. I haven't been an athlete for a while. Go ahead. Well, you play, you played under enough coaches under enough circumstances that we've all, we've all seen this before. Like we know what Chris Beard is like. Now your Chris Beard may have been named Andy Howard and my Chris Beard may have been named, you know, Chico Caldwell and Johnny's would have been named, Martha Stewart or whatever him. it might be. Okay. Like, Steve penis hands. <laughs> yeah, right. But we've all experienced it, right? And 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 I'm sure that as a as you know, as a professional, we are the same ways, right? I one of the ways I can't get out of my own way with my own students in my classroom is I am hellbent on making sure that they prove to me what they know. And I will let them fail as far as like individual assignments because I really want to give them an opportunity to express themselves and show what they know, which is cool. But I have a lot of students in my classrooms then who are like, Mr. Preston, please just tell me what you want. Like, just like, give me the assignment. Tell me what you want in this assignment and let me know. And I do not want to do that. Like I am, 
I, I am like, no, the assignment can be what you want it to be. Let's give you the parameters and you can kind of like express yourself inside of that and figure out what you want to say and think about how, you know, you do your own research and like, hey, the answer is almost always yes, as long as you show me the thinking, which to a person like me sounds amazing. Like, oh, I have all this freedom. And to a person like my wife, she's like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? <laughs> like, tell me what you want from me. You know, and like that. So it's unsurprising that I'm not a huge fan of the way that Chris Beard coaches, right? Like, because like fundamentally, he and I have a different way of approaching what I think the human experience should be. He wants to he wants to coach them up and preach execution and say, hey, this is how we do it. This is who we Damn, are. I didn't think this we were going to get to the philosophical debate of fate versus free will today, but well, Tim versus Chris <laughs> Beard. <laughs> But so I'm like people like just hey yeah again behind the curtain everybody like I'm not trying to be a jerk I don't think that Chris Beard is without some really phenomenal skins on the wall of what he's capable of doing but fundamentally I have a difference of opinion on what it's going to be I loved the fact that Shaka would bet on his guys I really 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 loved that they let him down or he let them down or they mutually let each other down and it ended up being bad right zero tournament wins in six years is objectively bad. But that doesn't change the fact that I like the style that he did. He just like didn't have the other parts of his coaching acumen together in a way that could that could make it work. Um, and then fundamentally, with with Beard, he he's he doesn't want those parameters to give players freedom, right? That's just not how he does it, and that's cool. That's a totally legitimate way to do it. But why does he do it differently? What's the what's the the hang up? He wants to be in control of it. Period. That is that is the answer. That's not an answer. That's not a possible answer. That's the answer. Um, and people can 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 then take that answer and say, well, hey, look at the great execution from this team. Look how fundamentally sound we are. You can already tell how much more capable they are than Shaka. They have so much better game plans. They have so much better whatever. And fine, I'm. It does look that way in a lot of circumstances. But what we're getting is this, right? And and what is what is better? What what is better? A team like last year that I think if they had if they had you know put it all together they could have won the tournament, but their ceiling or their sorry their floor was a loss in the first round, or a team like this, which I don't think if they you know if they put it together if they play you know unless they get the exact right draw, that they probably you know Sweet Sixteen is an incredible accomplishment for this team. But they almost for sure will win their first round. What would you prefer, right? What what makes more sense for you? And I and obviously Beard is very comfortable making that bet of I am really comfortable with winning a first round tournament and hoping for the best. Uh, but I'm not going to kind of play that other style. I think Fine. Texas fans are going to be really really happy for the first few years of one or two conference wins, and then it's going to be sort of the issue that every coach runs into, which is all right, you did this, show me more, show me more, show me more, sort of like what will happen with Rick Barnes and Mac Brown, and well, you just become sort of a victim of your own success at yeah. some point. Yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah, victim of your own success is, is fair. I think Mac and Barnes are different in that they had a higher level of success that they could not uh, get back to, and that's that's what did them in. Um, mm-hmm. If Barnes had won... You know, if Barnes was a consistent, like, round of 32, sweet 16 guy every single year, people would have probably been okay with that. He probably would have gotten a little more time. But but he wasn't even consistently reaching round. Of, you know, like, there, he, I think he won, was it one or two tournament games in the last four years? Like, it, it, was, it was a 
pretty paltry amount. He he couldn't match what he did before. I I think it's going to be really interesting to see um one if Chris Beard is sort of this round of 32 guy as the, you know, m- sort of mean average of his of of his tournaments at Texas if if Texas fans in 3 or 4 years see, oh well, you know, when one we're out, when one we're out, you know, or like say they go round of 32, sweet 16, round of 32. Um, are, are Texas fans going to be super jazzed about this style of team with those kind of results? We'll see. And I, I have, I have my hunches as, as to how that'll go in year four, but, um, you know, we'll get there when we get there. And, you know, it's possible that, that he puts together another, another, another run that makes this, this all moot. Cool. Last questions for the night. And let's get through this quick. How do you not trip against TCU in West Virginia? And what do you have to do to take down Baylor? Well, TCU, it's it's keeping Mike Miles in check. Um, if they don't have Eddie Lampkin like they didn't against West Virginia, that makes it easier for the Texas bigs because um, he's he's one of the only bigs that can really uh, out-hustle Texas players for, for offensive and defensive rebounds. So if he's still out uh, against Texas – that makes the the rebounding easier. That makes the interior defense easier. It makes the interior offense easier too. Texas is good enough defensively to make Mike Miles' life hell. And so, as long as you can do that, and you know Damian Ball or Farabello doesn't go absolutely nuts, you're probably in good shape. Uh, West Virginia, it's uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how West Virginia does if since they'll have Taz Sherman, which they didn't the first time Texas played them. And I think that's a significant enough X factor that, and the fact that that's in Morgantown and Texas has been significantly worse on the road than at home. That makes that game a lot more interesting. Um, I don't know how, uh, how bought in this West Virginia team is at this point because they, you know, Huggins has been uh, extra surly, shall we say. And uh, he, he's just been grumpier than normal and he's probably got half of them in his doghouse right now. And so um, I, I don't know which West Virginia team is going to show up. I, so, uh, but I think it's, it's incumbent upon them to make Taz Sherman's life as difficult as possible. So that's, that's how you deal with them. I think Baylor at this point, what we have to do is we got to shoot well from three. I, I think that's probably the, the number one statistical barometer for us is how well we shoot. I think if we had shot, you know, even decently against tech that we probably, you know, either win that game or it's maybe a little bit different at the very end. Um, I think we're going to have to do that. The rest of the stuff that we, you know, do or don't struggle with is what it is. But I, I think if we shoot well, we'll give ourselves a shot. So you hope that you can shoot well at home against them. Um, you hope that they kind of have a rough night against you and that all that stuff is possible. Baylor is beatable. No doubt about that, but. And, and um, it will be not the, a, the last uh, home game for Texas in the drum. So it's, they already announced it's a sellout and it might be an actual sellout, not a quote unquote Texas sellout. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I, I don't think Baylor fans are lining up around the block to take the tickets like tech fans did. So it should the, hopefully not- be a pretty good home environment. And so hopefully that helps Texas, you know, in, in those tight situations. They're not buying the $99 yeah. season ticket plans or whatever. No, no. Yeah, that's uh, that's all going to extra ship lap in Waco. <laughs> I think we would be remiss if we ended off the night without going through and really getting to know Scott Drew. Y'all, 
can you please give me some fun facts about Scott Drew? I really want to get to know this guy. And, you know, for I, I don't really remember too much about him. So any anything to, re, you know, jog my memory on what type of guy he is and who he is and what he does would be great. Scott Drew got the science department at Baylor to invent unicorns and then breed them in a lab so that he could hunt them for sport. Uh, J.K. Rowling based Voldemort on Scott Drew. J.K. Rowling based Voldemort's nose on Scott Drew. (laughs) Johnny? Uh, The honey badger does not give a fuck, except when it comes to Scott Drew, who he hates. uh, Coach O from LSU is actually a soprano. Thanks a lot, Scott Drew. I, I don't even know what he did there. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's how disgusting. Oh it wow, is. okay. <laughs> the Branch Davidians. <laughs> okay. In 2012, Mike Cabongo struggled to turn the corner again. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the Branch Davidians was actually developed when David Koresh. Uh, left Scott Drew's church for being too crazy. Mm. Uh, Scott Drew's favorite Nintendo console is the Wii. I mean... Oh, come on now. Come on. The Wii U would be worse. <laughs> yeah, all right. There we go. <gasps> Although the Wii U did have a really good zombie game. But... Oh, man. Yeah. He, 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 he was the mind behind the Wii U. And, funnily enough, the okay. Kinect. Okay, so let's okay, let's quick other question. You get you are on an island, you get one console period from history. Whatever con- like all the games that you want from that console, but one console ever in history on your island, what are you bringing? Xbox 1 because it gives me all the Xbox 1 games and the 360 <laughs> ones that are backwards compatible. Yeah. Backwards compatible. Yeah. Hey, PC, look, you didn't, you, you, you didn't put any qualifiers oh, on, on it. What a bunch of douchebags. I, oh, I'm sorry, God. did you want me to come up with, like, the PlayStation 3D or the, the, the Panasonic 3D no, because there was the one game I liked? Yeah. Was, yeah. Oh, uh, Dreamcast would have been fine because that one's got Time Portal. Uh, uh, but, uh, no, man, the answer is the GameCube. Shoot. GameCube's a good answer. GameCube's a good answer. It's a great, it's an amazing answer. Incredible games on the GameCube. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. You never even had a GameCube. I did game, actually. So I, did, I had a GameCube. Okay, your favorite game. Let's see if he says it the right one. Uh, was Super Mario Sunshine on that? It was. Yeah. Nice. You did it, my guy. Yeah. I also would Scott have appreciated Drew Wind Waker. Hated Super Mario Sunshine. <laughs> hated Super Mario Sunshine. Uh, well, he fucks kids. Whoa, okay, well, okay, uh, I think we're getting off there, guys. Uh, thank y'all for pretending we are a footballer for the past hour. Thank you very much to uh, Cole C. and Brittany M. again for sponsoring the podcast. If you would like to help us get this show sponsored, uh, please sign up on the Patreon, the Hornscast Patreon. Uh, also, join us on the Hornscast Discord. All right, guys, let's head it out. Johnny, where can we find you? 
Uh, find me on Twitter at Bitter White Guy, uh, assuming you haven't already been blocked by me. Uh, you can find <laughs> me on Substack, bitterwhiteguy.substack.com. Uh, I'm also on Reddit. Uh, if I haven't already blocked you there, uh, you can find me there as well. I pissed. Speaking of that, I pissed off a lot of Texas Tech fans during that game. Did, did you use polysyllabic words? Just by telling them their school is trash. Yeah. Hey, you only speak the truth, my guy. Tim, where can we find you? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter, Inside Texas Hoop, no S. And uh, inside, God damn it, CSA, InsideTexas.com. Uh, awesome community, awesome people coming out with us. Also, I am really, I am super hankering for Schlotzkys. So if anyone has the ability to send Schlotzkys uh, via some type of like freezing mechanism or. What if I just UPS ground it to you? I'd take it. Just to smell I just to smell the bread. Uh, I just like the original, right? Just like the ham and cheese. Give him an egg salad uh. sandwich and UPS ground it. I love egg salad. <laughs> I adore it. Dude, I mean it, I mean the thought would be really worth it. I appreciate that. Does Shrosky make an egg I have salad? No idea. Oh man. Be still my beating heart. But you guys can find me, your host, Will Bazer, on Twitter at W I L L B A I Z E R. Thank y'all for listening. We will see y'all next week. Hook 'em. Hook 'em horns.